Well, welcome to Black Men Speak, a podcast that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. I am your host, Keith Dent, and we are actually doing, I guess you want to call it a a redo or a uh, encore presentation because a couple of weeks ago, uh, my guest, uh, we had him on and it was during a horrific rainstorm in the Northeast and it caused a little challenges. So we had a few, we were really getting going and before you knew it, <laughs> it just stopped in the middle. And you know, hey, that's, I guess you wanna say, hey, that's show business. I get, you know, you can't do that in comedy. Otherwise you would get the hook uh, really fast or, you know, and if you were at the Apollo, who knows, you might lose some stuff, but. I am your host, Keith Dent, and it's great to be here. And this is a, a new thing for me. I usually do our uh, shows on uh, on the weekend, but we have our show uh, during the weekend. Uh, uh, really exciting stuff. So today, uh, our guest was graciously able to come back. And, uh, you know, that's the power of uh, Georgetown uh, and being an alum. You know, we look out for each other, and so I was glad he's was able to be on tonight. And his name is Isaiah Jones. Uh, he's a comedy touring and live events agent for the United Talent Agency uh, in the great New York City. Uh, but he hails from Dinwiddie, Virginia. And we got into that a little bit. And we're going to get back into it. But we're going to talk about his journey from Dinwiddie, Virginia to Georgetown University, how that all came about. We're going to talk about his passion for music, primarily being a percussionist. And uh, we're going to talk about just his, you know, his career journey. You know, he started out at the, uh, the Neo Elite, and that was a DMV-based content and media production company. Uh, we'll highlight that, you know, how he served as a brand manager and speaking agent for Marcus Johnson, who is an esteemed international jazz pianist. And then we'll really, you know, want to get into uh, his being a agent for comedians because you know i may have some jokes that i think may be some killers and you know hey you know you need to maximize your income so if i can do a couple local circuits here in the, in the tri-state area hey you, you just never know so um isaiah what's up brother how you doing welcome to black men speak podcast good evening thanks for having me again i appreciate, appreciate you accommodating of course, hey, of course, of course, you know, um, I was glad you're able to come back and, you know, the weather just been beautiful the past few days. So I, I do not anticipate any uh, issues <laughs> uh, or anything like that. And, you know, if not, you know, hey, we'll just have to talk to our sponsors here and, and find out what's going on. So so we're just going to go ahead and go all the way back, especially we might have new listeners. So, um, you know, you're from Dinwiddie, Virginia. And so what was it like growing up there? Yeah, yeah, man. Um, you know, like we started to talk about, right? It's a small town. Um, everybody kind of knows each other. Like after elementary school, you go into middle school with everyone in town, and you go into high school with everybody in town, and everybody kind of knows each, each other's brothers, sisters, moms, sees each other at the the homecoming games, etc. So, you know, I was I was there going to all, all throughout middle school and had a decision to either continue on like that path that a lot of people uh, were going on and going to our, you know, the high school where we all would convene and know each other or, you know, taking a path and exploring, uh, you know, another education, which was at the governor's school in Petersburg, Virginia. So, which is next door to Dinwiddie. And, um, you know, I took that route and that's kind of where, you know, my kind of love for music, my education for music, my passion for music, you know, really started to sprout and grow wings. So I was happy about that decision, but, you know, I always tell people, it's like, I'm from Dinwiddie. It's, you know, it's rural. It's literally like the Confederate South. You can still see parts of it. I lived across the battlefield uh, from literally from the Civil War. So I didn't realize how much that affected me in my life until probably I got to Georgetown and afterwards, you know, now that I look back at everything. So, um, you know, we, we may get, get into that, but, you know, I love home. It's the opposite of New York. Right, <laughs> I hadn't, right. You know, I hadn't ridden a city bus even until I got to, to D.C. So to be here in a, in a, in a big city is, um, is definitely a stark difference. So it's always good to go home, get some open space, some fresh air and see the stars. Right, right. And and I don't, 
I didn't realize the transition because I actually, you know, transitioned to a different high school, just moving from a completely different state. So was that a challenge going from, you know, where you knew everybody and then all of a sudden you were thrown into a high school where you were completely brand new? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's always a challenge, right? It's especially for challenge for people who aren't necessarily, uh, you know, given the, the gift of gab and are out as outgoing, right, and making friends and being in new spaces. I think that you know I'm probably in in the middle. Like when I have to be, I can be outgoing, mm -hmm. but 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 for the for the most part, I'm pretty reserved. And uh, you know, I took that opportunity and I should say like, I didn't I didn't get in on the first go round. I they 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 rejected me. <laughs> you know? Oh wow okay. And that was it's because it's a charter school or you had to yeah, test yeah. it. Yeah yeah somewhat of a charter slash magnet school. We got to test in you have to to audition right I came in as a as a music major so an instrumental oh, music cool. major. So you had to you know do the scales and you had to to, to sight read and all these these things and so I didn't make it and every every district every kind of county has a specific amount that they can send I think Dinwiddie had four or six and I didn't make the cut <laughs> so they called me later on afterwards and, and a spot had opened up I guess someone for some reason couldn't couldn't go and couldn't attend so they gave it to me and uh, you know I made the best of the opportunity I was excited about it I don't think that being in a new space um, really inhibited me on anything. I think if anything, you know, it was encouraging, it was inspiring, right? So um, yeah, I was I was happy about the opportunity. Okay, so percussion or being a percussionist has been a passion for yours for a long time. And how, how did that actually come about? Sixth grade, I got my name drew out of a hat and um, it was up from there. You know, you're either doing choir, or you're doing art, or you're doing, uh, you're doing music and or slash band, and so everybody wanted to be on the drumline and band. It was probably about 20 hands that raised, and they could only take maybe seven or eight out of each class. And I think I was the second name that got drawn. Okay. And then, you know, and then they you know after a while, just constant practice and encouragement from my teachers. It, you know, it really, uh, it really continued me on that journey of just like, you know, finding like that niche, like that thing I, I wanted to do and like I wanted to put my time in and it ended up being drums and that led from concert band to marching band and playing drum set in the pit to being on cymbals to being um, a snare drum and, uh, you know, the actual like drum line leader for, for a year. Okay. And, uh, and then obviously at the governor's school, it was classical, it was show choir, it was jazz band. I mean, so much fun, right? Just like, like wow, okay. the world of percussion, just from, you know, getting your name drawn out of a hat and just going with, with, uh, with the flow and what was working. That's wonderful. And you, so you've had a passion for, I guess, entertainment for a very long time since sixth grade. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. I, I think that it was really, it was really just music, right? And like sixth to eighth grade. And then okay. by the time we got to ninth and tenth, when I was at the governor school, I mean that I think if if you people have ever seen Victorious, which was I think a, a Nickelodeon show or a Disney show. Oh um, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, like it was about a school that you know had all the, these these gifted and talented um, students who were singing and dancing and and playing instruments. And I felt like that school was like was like where I went. Like it was just super talented individuals in their own right, whether it, they were just super great at technology. There was an arts and technology school. So, okay. or they were vocal majors or they were dancers or they were theater majors or they were visual arts majors or um, literary arts, right? They were just amazing at the pen. I felt, I started to fall in love with other areas of entertainment in the arts world through, through that school. And then I think that was that that born, you know, that kind of bug in me to kind of like explore outside of what I was doing. I started acting, I started dancing in high school, like all those things. And so that's why I, I take, um, you know, my position now that I have in entertainment so seriously, because it was always something that I like love to just be a consumer of and and educate myself about. So this was like the Southern version of fame. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. Okay. They're singing okay. in the halls at like 8 a.m. And uh, uh -huh. you know know who's on here. But if there were any students that you know went went back to high school with me, then um then then they they can vouch for that. Some like okay. this. Okay, I got it. I got it. So I would think that 
naturally you might flow into a to a HBCU. I know uh, you were pretty close to Virginia State, and you know, of course, you know, with Drumline, that's a HBCU staple, and so they're probably more celebrities than like the football team. So, what led you to actually going a different route and going to Georgetown? Yeah, uh, I mean, part of it was a few parts, right? My okay. mom didn't want me to apply to any Virginia schools. And mind you, she graduated from Virginia State, so you. And uh, she's always been pushing me, pushing me, right? And it was always about, you know, what, what was the best, right? You worked hard for four years, right? Like you always want the best for yourself, others want the same for you. So that was the conversation. So the no Virginia okay. school we got applied to, there was no wasting time with it. However, um, you know, like leaving the nest, it didn't look like moving six hours away, right? It was applying to those schools, but it was also like what was still kind of close to home. And it was Georgetown, it was Howard. I got into okay. Howard. I got into Georgetown. You got into Howard, right. So okay. So mm -hmm. they did have kind of a the band and everything. And that's and that's what I what I thought, right? I thought, you know, it was gonna be a big as much as education, you know, those goals were important. It was also about social and continuing on this music journey. And I was always like loving what I was seeing on on uh, Drumline, the movie, right? Like like everybody. So it was like what, like, what is that experience, right? On like a bigger level, like leaving high school, right? Because we had a we had a Drumline that danced and that, you know, really got down like that. So like, if you go to Howard, one, you know, one of the biggest and most known HBCUs with a great band, I wanted that experience. And then after a while, you know, Georgetown came came with the money, said we'll give you a full ride. I was like, well, that's kind of hard to beat. And Howard's down. Oh the, right, yeah. Howard, <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of hard to take to turn up. Right, and how and Howard's down the street. So you know, right. like I said, we take that G two and um and go to those gates. We get to when we can. So it worked out. Okay. Oh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, if Georgetown's gonna provide you for the full scholarship. It's hard to say. It's hard to say no, and you can always, yeah, like you said, you can always take the G two and and practice over there. You know, take your drums over there. But so you get to, to Georgetown, and what was when did you graduate? What year? Twenty sixteen. Twenty sixteen. Okay. And so, what was your what was your experience like? You know, when you once you went through the gates at thirty seventh and O, how did it how did it resonate with you? Uh, it was a big shock because. Uh, I think it was the first time I felt superbly academically challenged. You know, like I like it was like the classes were like that I was taking at the time, right? I was speaking about my educational goals at the time. So when I entered, I was a physics major. I was taking like physics courses. Ooh, I was taking okay. math courses and um, thinking I was going to be like a mechanical engineer. I was going to maybe later down the road do IP law, like all these these dreams and what I thought would be, would be uh, my future. And um, it felt like a slap in the face when I actually got in and, you know, a, a, a walk into reality when I actually entered that those classrooms and didn't feel as prepared. I didn't feel like, you know, I felt like a lot of, you know, I was putting my best foot forward and it wasn't amounting to what it used to amount to. Mm -hmm. So that so that that part was challenging. Right. And then there's the part about being in a space where people aren't used to interacting with people that look like you. They're not, they're not saying the right things. They're not doing the right things. They make the make wrong assumptions, mm -hmm. you know? So, and I, and even going through, through mixed schools and, and being from where, again, from where I'm from, you would expect maybe I've, I've seen some of that or experienced some of that, but I hadn't to that point. Right. And so what sport do they think you played? <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't I don't recall them ever maybe even mentioning the sport right okay. but like it's like it was always an athletic scholarship and not merit scholarship slash okay. academic, right 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 yeah and that can that can be a little troubling and I know when I got their freshman year um I felt like I you know had to prove myself out the gate and so mm -hmm. a, a lot of I sacrificed a lot of the um going out and, and even though I did, but I know I, there were nights where I felt I had to study to, to justify, you know, my acceptance and things like that. So I don't know if you mm -hmm. kind of felt that same pressure as well. 
No, yeah, I, I think I think a lot of us did. I think a lot of us, you know, felt we were the representation in the class for the whole black community at Georgetown, and um, and that's a and while it it sounds crazy, it it's a very much a real feeling, right? It's sit, sitting there and feeling like you have to speak for everyone, think 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 for everyone, and you know, be the voice for something that you know maybe everybody in the room can't specifically speak to because it's not their experience, but at the same time, may not be the experience of your own as well. So mm. it it's it's hard on multiple fronts. Right, right. I did not have a good first semester. It was like the first time I was really seeing like bad grades. I mean, mm. I, I mean, I, I bounced back. It was like a full 180 the next semester. I, I got I got my act together, but it was more so I didn't set myself up for success for what I was in, found myself to be intellectually curious about. You know, the workloads too much, like all all these things that you know they say not to do. Like I did, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, and uh, and and I failed. You know, in my own eyes. And you know, took a good hard look at the situation and came back with a you know different head on my shoulders and um, you know and, and the old me and uh, from from there it everything thing worked out. I changed majors. Uh, you know, I was a sociology major. I double minored in music and African American studies. So again, kept on the music path and um, you know and I, I think we'll, we'll we'll get into that too. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing like seeing a, a D on your on your report card. I remember seeing a couple of times when I was like, oh, I'm going to end up going to the army. <laughs> I'm like, this is, this is crazy, but it's, you know, but I, I applaud you from actually that you actually assess really what you wanted to do and you made the changes as opposed to, uh, you know, I'm going to stick to this and make this work. Um, but it really wasn't for you. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And then that, that kind of led to, I guess, uh, something that you actually co-founded and that was the GU University Collegiate 100. Mm -hmm. uh, so what was what was that and why did you feel you needed to create that organization? Yeah, I mean, I think from the time you kind of stepped up at, to Georgetown, at least, you know, for me and a lot of my other friends, it was about finding community. It was about, you know, you're looking for belongingness and for Black men in particular, it felt like, you know, we had our spaces here and there. It felt like we were trying to you know, ad hoc those spaces. And, uh, you know, me, my, uh, my roommate at the time, but my freshman roommate, uh, Harrison Williams, and and several other men, black men on campus, we were thinking about why don't we actually make something that's actually university supported, right? The, you know, the Collegiate 100 is a collegiate chapter of the 100 black men. Harris at the time had a relationship. So we started to talk to them about charting one on campus. We you know, found an advisor, we found a, pretty much a chartering membership board mm -hmm. and, um, you know, felt like we came out the gate swinging. But, you know, it was all born out of, you know, we need something for us. We need something that we feel, uh, you know, we can petition the university for when it comes to funding, when it comes to having things on campus that are, you know, meaningful, impactful. Um, I remember we we hosted a the Barbershop 3 screening down at the, the Georgetown uh, Theater and had Malcolm Lee come and, and give, okay. a, give a Q&A and, um, and I was moderating the Q&A and definitely one of the highlights of my Georgetown career, you know, helping put that on. And that's just one of the things where we felt like having something actually chartered on campus and being able to like submit, you know, proposals for funding and using the university money to support what and, and provide a space for us that, that really should be there already was the way to go. So that's what the Collegiate 100 was. That's awesome. And then shout yeah, and shout out to Malcolm Lee, you know, fellow yeah. GU alum. So that's awesome. But I have, a, you know, just a fascinating question because we always talk about this. I know I graduated longer ago, but right. <laughs> do is it because the camaraderie wasn't natural at Georgetown just be, between black men and women or just in general? Or did you feel that you just wanted to try to provide more opportunities to bring in, you know, with the resources to bring in different things? I mean, definitely, definitely the latter, right? But I think even regarding camaraderie, right? I mean, people say all the time, we're not a monolith, like there's there's different personalities within within each and every one of us and like who we who we click with, right? And you know, like we still mm -hmm. all come from varying backgrounds and different socioeconomic you know, statuses and realities. And so even coming into Georgetown and throwing that in the mix, you still have different tribes you may actually gravitate towards, but not, oh, I'm losing light over here. 
Um, I'll get that on in a second. Um, but to answer, to answer your question, it was trying to, you know, solve for, for X, right? And, and okay. make sure, you know, we actually had something to, a space of ourselves, right? It was, it, there was the Black Student Alliance, there was the African Society of Georgetown, the, the CCC, and uh, um, those are spaces that, you know, we felt we, we did belong in, you know, depending on right. what, your, what your ethnicity is, et cetera. But then we needed something that spoke to the to the, the, the social aspect and the, the cultural aspect that, you know, Black men felt we were experiencing at Georgetown. And so um, hopefully it did some good while we were there and while it was active. Okay. And that's, uh, you know, and that's fascinating. And I think it's just based on the times because back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, we did have that monolith and we we had probably, and I know I'm not, hopefully nobody's watching them get mad, but we had probably had three groups. We had the Black Student Alliance, we had the NAACP, um, and we had the athletes and we had, you know, I know there was the we had a black dance group and black theater ensemble, and that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. But everything was really led just with a black focus and not a not a branching of different factions of blackness. So um, the fact that you were able to that you saw a need and try to bring um, bring that to the forefront for supporting black men is actually quite cool. So um, and then you know, kind of lastly, or not lastly, but just to talk about your the world GU world percussion. And I think, mm-hmm. that right. Yep. And, and you were that you were a main part of that. And how did that shape your kind of the next part of your journey and what you want to do in life? Yeah, it's, it's pretty special because uh, um, again, I, I was thinking about going to Howard and that music journey was going to be on trying out for the band and being on the drum line, et cetera. And the music journey at Georgetown was much different because I didn't feel connected to what, you know, to the concert band or the, you know, the the band that played at the, the games. Right. And I, I got, I went there, I got tried it, you know, I, I sought them out and kind of made the decisions myself. And I took um, a course um, that was pretty much teaching world percussion. So Afro-Cuban percussion, you know, percussion instruments from the Eastern side of the world. Mm. Um, and then also like, like Western instruments as well. So I've, really like fell in love with, you know, learning those instruments of the percussion family. And then, you know, I found out we actually had a group on campus that was um, part of the uh, Department of Performing Arts um, called the World Percussion Ensemble. And so I joined it as a member. And then I wanted, I felt like we could do more. I felt like we were like super talented from just taking people who don't know anything, like who, you know, who have rhythm just based on what you're listening to a song and nodding your head, but outside mm-hmm. of that, teaching them skills to be able to put on a show at the end of each semester in front of their friends and family. And I was like, this is actually, this needs more visibility. Like we need more opportunities. I think we can be doing more here. It was the first time I looked at music from a business lens and uh, mm-hmm. pretty much created a position for myself, which you know, to some degree was in the realm of vice president of marketing logistics. I think that was, that's what I called it. Okay. <laughs> so the president at the time, like said, sure, like, you know, we need help there. So like, you know, we, we branded, I think, you know, we got a new logo there was a process to book us, um, you know, that I created, there was, there were more on-campus opportunities at, at that point you know, and performing with dancers and performing at bigger events at Georgetown, just, just from getting the, the word out and, you know, being more creative about our programming. And, um, and then I graduated to actually be the president and the, uh, the treasurer, you know, those positions are shared. So then it was looking at the numbers part of everything. And so those like two or three years, it was actually building a bit of a resume to speak on a very small scale you know, with a, a music mind mixed with a business mind, mixed with marketing, like how do we, you know, scale up, you know, something that is working, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I had witnessed one of your, when I was just doing research and saw you, uh, one of your YouTube, and I'm sure you can help me, but you're playing yeah. a box. And <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Wow. I was like, wow, because that was really fascinating because it really kind of felt so, I guess, organic and felt down home, almost like 
being in, I want to say being in Africa, but it was like, I was assuming it came from the roots, but I'd love you to kind of go into that. How was it to kind of take an instrument that's not really mainstream and really make it your own and educate the, I guess, the audience that was there? Yeah, I mean, you know, to, to some degree, you kind of meet people, you know, where they're at. And depending on the audience, you can kind of go deeper, you can stay surface level, right? But like, as I was learning about these instruments, whether it be the congas or the bongos or uh, the timbales or the cajon, which is the box that you were, were talking about, um, or even the, the maracas or the cowbell and how important these instruments are to other cultures that I wasn't as familiar with or, you know, just slightly through through friendships, right? And uh, at that point, it was learning it to be at least be able to step into that culture a little bit and use the skill set to be able to uh, to bring, you know, shine that light on that specific culture, that event, that time frame, that period, right? Some of these instruments are born out of Latin American countries. Some come from directly from African countries, right? And so connecting even from that standpoint and putting your hands on an instrument, much different than I used to just use sticks, right? Mm -hmm. or, or mallets, right? But right. Putting, putting your hands there, feeling like the rawhide skin, um, and being able to like make sounds based upon how you were able to uh, really understand the instrument in and of itself, be comfortable with the instrument, like really feel at home with it and be able to understand sound and what is the capabilities of it are was kind of what I started to really fall into like while I was at Georgetown. And I felt created a different type of home for me that I hadn't felt with music before. So, you know, I still even play those instruments while I'm here in New York. And um I think that that was something that, you know, I loved while at Georgetown when we got the opportunity to play at, you know, the ASG's African Society of Georgetown's like mm -hmm. fashion show, um, Nabisa. And like those were, were big moments for us and uh, or performing with like the Caribbean culture circle because like these instruments are, are, are tied to them. Right. right. So it's, it's being able to, to do that. And then but then also like performing like to the broader Georgetown community and maybe just like something that's more of a of a student led organization that's you know a, a welcome back event or something like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's, okay. There was a variety, you know, of things that you can kind of get into and fall in love with, and you never know kind of somebody's history and what what impact like doing something like this has on somebody right. while at the school. Right, that just sounds awesome. That really does because it, just playing, you know, and being able to play with a mixed audience or even just um, our African-American, you know, brothers and sisters who might not even known some of those uh, instruments and to help bring kind of the culture together through those events must've been very empowering to do. Yes, very much. Yeah, so so now you've, you get out of school, you've got through your four years and, um, so you have to, you know, get a job. So what was your what was your first job out of school? I worked at the escape room in Georgetown. Um, well, yeah, I actually just walked by there just just the, uh, just this weekend. <laughs> and I thought of you. So yeah, yeah. And I, what was that like? Uh, I mean, it was the alternative, right? It wasn't it wasn't the first uh, um, thing I was expecting out of Georgetown. Um, but it's also very hard to break into entertainment, right? You, you put a lot of feelers out and you try. Like I was a 930 club marketing intern and um, I did that, you know, senior year uh, spring and, um, you know, opportunities come or they don't come. And uh, like that was uh, a good kind of landing zone for the time being. So I was there, you know, literally being a game master. And okay. telling people, you know, you know, walking people through the the puzzles and the rooms and okay. putting on, putting on a character and stuff like that. So I tapped into like my old like high school roots of acting a little bit, and um, that was it was fun for for you know for the moment, right? Oh, it was okay, right? But at at the time, you know, I'm still you know I went from d doing that like every day to then it being a weekend job. And then starting to pretty much work the phones at a cardiology association and talk about continuing education for cardiologists and figure out the language for all of that. Right, <laughs> that, right. Right, and that, and that nine to five. And uh, um, and then doing escape room either right after that job or doing it on the weekends. And while also, like you mentioned, work with Marcus Johnson, who I met while at a Georgetown event he came to speak at. 
And um, you know, he liked he liked my hustle. He liked what I was what I wanted to do for my career. Okay. He felt like he had a space on his team where I could provide value, and um, and also learn, and then get a chance to kind of be you know my own to to some degree like not my own boss, but you know start to set the pace for myself, right? So so added that to the mix, and then also working like you you mentioned Neo Elite, which was also founded by Georgetown alum. Uh, Zeppelin Tillman and working alongside him when we produce shows out of the out of Howard Theater R&B shows and leaning back on that marketing background and uh, doing digital marketing, show marketing, etc. So it was all those four things at okay at once. By the time I was into the fall of 2016, wow! So you've always, I guess, been a person that's thrived on doing multiple things. Sounds like. Yeah, I, I couldn't focus, man. I couldn't. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why I tell people, like, I, I couldn't be like a traveling musician when, you know, when it when it came down to it, because I felt like I had put in enough of the hours to be able to do what I had wanted to do. Right. I didn't even want to minor in music when I was at Georgetown at first. I just wanted to play for the fun of it and, and, and learn while I was going. But then I was taking enough classes at that point to might as well put, you know, put it on, uh, mm-hmm. put on my degree. And uh, at some point I was like, I can't practice enough or do it and do it, like put enough time into this to think I'm going to leave Doorstown and start a band or be a part of a band that be on the mm. truck, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I was like, right. I want to be, be on in, like behind the scenes. Like I, I want to be close to music, but not the musician. Like what are those jobs that allow me to do that and still be creative at the end of the day? Because I don't let people forget that I'm still a musician at the end of the day. I come from a creative space. So having a job that feels creative and that is creative, you know, was always going to be, you know, the end goal as well. Oh, interesting. So, and this is, I know it's a separate question. So you didn't really get caught in kind of the trappings of being a musician and all the like little perks that come with being a musician, if you know what I mean? Well, yeah, but I, I think because I just never got to that level. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, like I think, um, you know, hints of it here and there, like while in college, uh-huh. but but to, but it was already made up in my mind that you know it wasn't going to last. Like after that, okay. and when you're looking to break into entertainment, after freshman year, if you know you're going to get into it, which was me, I think I, by the time I got into my sophomore year, freshman, and even spring, I was ready to look into entertainment. So you're kind of like looking at all the opportunities to make to make, start that journey and make mm-hmm. those connections okay. because. That's how you start to actually make, you know, uh, make it happen after you graduate. Because outside right. of that, like, people are looking for who you know and what you know, and um, you know, trying to connect all the dots for what you did on campus. And it kind of wasn't leaning, you know, me into the direction of what does this music performance route look like? Right. Like, it, it just looks like what it looks like right now. It looks like me talking about what I, how much I love and to play music, which actually helped me. Right. Okay. In my interviews saying how much I love music and how much, um, you know, like what I listen to, what I like and and why I do it. Because at the end of the day, like I sit beside, you know, the music agents here and in mm-hmm. the music department and we and so do the comedy folks. We do we do these things because we, we love the art form. It's important. Right. And so because I know you had some internships prior to graduation. Right. So. Was it a little disheartening that you didn't get uh, something right away? Because I know when I graduated from Georgetown, there was kind of expectations. Oh, yeah, I graduated from Georgetown. I should be able to get a job. But it took me some time as well. So I wonder what how you felt or do you felt it was kind of a natural just progression and you're, you're glad that you landed the way it did? Well, I'm... <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I think everything happens for a reason, right? I wouldn't say I'm mm-hmm. glad the, the way it landed the way it did. Um, I would have loved to have like started this specific journey like much sooner, mm-hmm. right? There were some difficulties and some some struggle buses that, that, that were, were probably for the six, seven months I was on. But outside of that, right, I knew I made decisions to turn certain avenues down that I probably could have been successful at, you know, procuring after, after graduation as far as mm-hmm. job opportunities. So okay. it wasn't, yeah, so I wasn't so much down about the fact that I didn't have it because I chose almost not to have certain things because okay. I knew it would take me away from the vision that I had for what I wanted to do 
And if at any point you feel like um, you're not putting your everything specifically into to this level uh, of a journey within entertainment, then um, yeah, you you may not get there as soon as you could. Okay. 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 Great. So yeah. So talk about your. You know, you mentioned you worked worked with Marcus Johnson, mm-hmm. and um, so what was that like? I mean, because now you're really behind the scenes, you're really in the mix, uh, which is a whole different avenue. You know, because you're really there to make sure Marcus is successful. So, what were some of the things that you had to do uh, that was now completely different than, I guess, being in in their entertainment or the front of entertainment space? Yeah, it was. Um... I didn't know it at the time, but it was literally like doing the job of an agent, right? I, I hadn't experienced and, you know, trying to, you know, flex negotiating skills, right? Mm. So I had, I had to learn what, what that was. You know, I had to, to figure out like who were good and bad buyers, like what were good and bad opportunities um, and, uh, you know, what made the most sense for, you know, what he wanted for his career. Like, mm. how do I bring that to life, right? Like he was coming out with the book. He has he had his, his wine brand flow and it was all about, you know, connecting everything to, to each other, like the music, the wine, the book, the stories, like all of that into a package. Right. So we go back to brand new, but we're back to marketing, which I, you know, found myself you know learning and doing a bit. But the job of actually like booking was something new to me. Right. And I had to like try and fail and try and learn and realize like how many emails it would take to just do one thing, like one booking, you know, mm-hmm. how many phone calls it would take. Uh, I remember I, I actually booked him one time at the FBI, which is a very, <laughs> very like, <laughs> like random fact. But I got a, I have a picture somewhere, I guess, on my Facebook or Instagram where um, I took a picture right outside the office. And, um, you know, that was great because it was something where they were looking exactly for someone like Marcus to come in for that specific event. And it was about, you know, building those relationships. And I think that that in and of itself was a good segue into, you know, being interviewed at at UTA and talking about that experience because Mm -hmm. it's exactly Mm -hmm. what agents do. We procure opportunities for our clients in our respective areas. And for him, it was uh, it was me being a speaker speaking agent for him. And that's interesting. So what what makes a good and bad buyer? So yeah, explain that. I should say more so, you know, good cautious versus versus someone that has um, you know a little bit more experience, right? Okay. Like someone, you know someone who you you know has a, has a prior history of working with certain talents, so they kind of know exactly how to go about certain asks and requests and things that they need these type of things and you okay. don't necessarily have to educate them as much. Oh, um, I see. I mean, to some degree at, th- at that point, I'm humble enough to say I, I-, I needed education too, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but you know, you're kind of stepping into, you know, a certain space where you have to have a, a level of confidence because you're representing someone you, on, and on their behalf, you want to make sure that they're, you know, presented in the best light. So having the most information, you know, about what you need for your client and um, and then what they will will do, what they won't do, what's negotiable, et cetera. And, um, you know, and some some buyers and, and folks that are looking looking to book some of your clients are uh, knowledgeable about all these things. And it's an easy conversation and others are not. And I, I think that that's, you know, the things that I was kind of figuring out on the fly. And, um, you know, luckily, mm-hmm. luckily, I don't think I had too many too many misses. Right. And I was swinging a lot and, 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 you know, hitting some home runs and hitting some, uh, you know, some some of them in the parks. But other than that, I think, um, you know, that's what I would say to like good or bad buyers. It's more so. OK, OK. How they're coming to the table. So did, did you have an event where you if you could tell the story or if you can remember where you kind of tried to back slowly, just back out of the space because it didn't turn out the way you had, you know, worked on? Uh, fortunately, no. Um, and, and that's also because, you know, my, my, my time working with him in that capacity, you know, wasn't, wasn't too long lived. Right. Okay. I had maybe just three or four months, like within that role. Okay. You know, and so, so what we were able to do was great. And then, and then, you know, came an opportunity that I took and then moved to New York for, for UTA. But yeah, for, for, fortunately, uh, there weren't too many that, 
you know, we kind of manage expectations, you know, on, on everybody's side and we kind of knew what we were walking into. Uh, and at the same time, he's, he's, he's a great person, right. Outside of being an amazing, talented, you know, musician. Um, so it's, when you have a client like that, it's, it's pretty easy to have a good go at things, even when it's not the, you know, the most ideal scenarios for what you'd rather be in. Right. When it's, right. Room, the the room or the type of people or the you know the, how much the money is or or what or what have you. Okay, and so then since you so that was short lived and you so you decided to switch to comedy. Yeah, I mean it was music before comedy. I think that at that journey right from D.C. area right after I graduated and then going into. New York, starting at, you know, one of the biggest talent agencies and coming from the mailroom on up to the uh, to an agent now. Right. Is uh, is it, it feels it feels like a very long time. And however, I'm still at the, at the beginning, beginning of it all. And uh, I came in as a music trainee. Right. Uh, there's there's training programs here at UTA. I came in okay. as a music touring trainee in 2017. Um, luckily, I was only in the mail room for maybe four four weeks or so and um i was able to get on the desk pretty quickly and start assisting two agents in music who were booking pop and indie and soft rock music but we're also booking things that you know they felt um the industry was going into like the entertainment landscape was moving towards which is like live podcast shows mm-hmm. and and shows with digital creators and other niche conventions and expos where, you know, you were serving what was like a deep and rooted community that was, you know, ready to experience something in a live space. And, um, and so like that was my start on like their desk and assisting them and understanding from, you know, from soup to nuts, like what, what a deal was and how tours got built and routed and negotiated and the different types of rooms and different types of deals and, um, you know, how to like, think about a festival versus like just like a proper like 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 show and uh, like all of the, these things right that you kind of have to know before you know you gotta uh walk, mm-hmm. walk crawl before you walk walk before you run so it takes a long time specifically within you know that area to learn all the intricacies to feel like you have it um and you know it like the back of your hand so a lot of long nights here and then, you know, just to, to some degree, if you if you want it and you want to and you want to like learn it in and out, like you have to like put in that time. So I was like happy to do those things because I knew like I'd be here at some point. I made the decision I would be here, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of time. But okay, I didn't, I didn't know I'd be in comedy, right? Okay. You know? oh, so th- so basically, UTA was a is one of your goals where you wanted to end up at that agency and you you figured out how to do how to do that right well you know it it the opportunity came from again you know doing the most i could to to learn and you know meet people i was i went fall 2016 to the billboard conference and awards out in la um it's actually funny i think i'm, I'm going to be staying at the hotel that i, I that kind of started this all in a few okay weeks. but but um and uh, i had, went to an agency roundtable and um, the, there were hip hop and R&B agents there. And again, I was interested in music. I wanted to stay on the music tip. So I was talking to them about what they did. I was letting them know what I was into and I was doing, you know, did my follow ups. And, you know, one of them, UTA passed my my resume along. And, uh, you know, maybe a few weeks later, I got a call to interview. And so, I did, I, again, I'm stepping into it not exactly knowing what music agents do on a day to day and what like an assistant does, but you know, enough conversations, enough consideration about it. Um, you know, I got enough information to really continue to go along that path. And I think coming into UTA, it was like the next big step is what I needed to be able to like start to like make inroads where I needed to, right? Like I it could have been a step to 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 going to work at a label. It could have been a step mm-hmm. to going, you know, to an artist management company, or it could have been a step to just becoming an actual music touring agent, right? Okay. At some point, you know, I made enough, I had enough conversations, I experienced enough to know that what we were doing with those uh, non that non traditional talent, those podcasters, the creators, was that gap that it wasn't being filled by anyone. And if anything in this business, you need to learn how to be indisposable and start to, you know, go in the places that people aren't, 
but you have a vision for knowing that will be the future. And so we put the time in, we started to build, a, build up a roster of our own that ended up, you know, speaking enough to the success of it. And then at the top of 2020, you know, we transitioned into the comedy department and it ended up being the best thing to happen for myself because it allowed for that, that trajectory and that elevation to come much, much quicker because there was more support. There was more uh, guidance. There was, there was more um, mm. opportunities coming just from, you know, being under, under this, 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 this group and under the helm of someone who would, uh, who would really take it uh, to the next height. Oh, okay. That's awesome. So I love that because I, what I heard in all of that was one networking, which is things that we just, we really need to do. Um, and then just getting in the door and then allowing your, I guess, for lack of a better word, your talent and your skills to take over where you are now creating a space where you're indispensable, as you had mentioned. So, mm-hmm. um, so what are what are some of the challenges that you face as a talent agent of color? I'm not sure, you know, if it's based on who you represent, um, but I'd love to hear that, you know, journey because I, you know, mm-hmm. when you, I know when we met over the summer and you told me you're a talent agent for a com- for comedy, I'm like, oh, I mean, I never even thought of that as being a job because you you figure the comics do all of that themselves or they just do yeah. their like on Seinfeld, they go to the spot and get booked and there you go. So I'd love to hear that part of it uh for sure i mean i think i stepped into you know the agency world you know and and i I guess really like the industry right it was my first like big job within the industry and so i didn't realize how like little of of me there were around right and Mm. even in either like you know just just overall right and uh, that was a that was a shock you know and operating in a space where you kind of feel like you may not be particularly understood at the first go round, maybe having to use extra words to educate others. People make certain assumptions about maybe what your interests are in terms of talent, in terms of, you know, lifestyle, et cetera. Like, like all, all, all those things are things that uh, honestly, like happened at Georgetown and what it was a bit of a precursor to what would happen in like, you know, the corporate space, the real world. And so I, I to some degree think, I'm thankful for like that experience to having that because it let me come in here and be prepared to be able to kind of stand into like what like I know to be true and like who I am and not be put into a box. I think that that's that's a challenge is making sure people don't put you into what they believe, you know, your specific expertise are. Um, And but also like if 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 anything is right just owning it and saying it's it's because of like who you are your upbringing your experience and you know what your particular tastes are right i think like i have a, a very eclectic roster and i think it you know it skews black comedy it's you know it's podcasters it's it's digital creators it's, mm-hmm. it's kids and family programming like what i can speak about a lot of different areas of entertainment a lot of different genres and um a lot of different types of people and and, and um in different forms of uh, of live shows right it's because that was a competency that i've been building for six plus years mm-hmm. and, you know so being within this space you know people will automatically especially if they start to see a roster if they start to see see a few people like you represent they'll they'll start to paint a picture of you so it's up, up to you to be able to set the tone again when you enter a room when, when you mm-hmm. enter, when you enter a zoom or, gotcha gotcha <laughs> right and uh-huh. Uh-huh. you know and and to, to some degree your, your your representation right i'm hoping that i see more people you know within comedy you know um that are that are agents that that look like me and that you know come from uh similar backgrounds right but um you know for now there aren't that many and uh, i think the challenge is being able to do the best job as possible because you do feel like you're you know trying to create a path and trying to create the right one right you want to be the best representation and be you know as perfect as you can be which is super impossible but you also you know want to make sure you're representing people that um that you also love and 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 also are a fan fan of in the right way, and um, your reputation is everything here. It's it's important that people speak about you in spaces that, you know when you're not there in the best light. And I think that it rings even more true when you're you know um, a talent agent of color. Okay. Well, you know, I 
you know, what do you look for with talent? Because, you know, I got a couple of jokes. It's so subjective. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I mean, and that's kind of the reason why I just gave my answer, right? I think that, you know, just because I'm not liking something doesn't mean the next person won't, right? Mm-hmm. And to some degree, like, if, if the room loves something and the room speaking, the crowd is speaking to, to it, right? It's something that, you know, is there's an audience for, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's... uh. It's 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 just that. Right. It's not for you, but it's for a lot of other people. And that's, you know, you stepping outside of yourself and kind of looking at the the big the bigger picture and being okay. able to look at it from there. Right. OK. Um, yeah. I mean, sure, there's there's all these things that, you know, people probably talk about and you probably see on maybe even a, these these judging shows that are on TV, right? stage presence and uh, mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. And uh, all the skill sets that, you know, comedians um, are, are continuing building, you know, while they're going up every night in, in these cities. Gotcha. And, um, at the end of, end of the day, it's it's also about, you know, building your following, building your community, right? Uh, making sure that you're kind of like your work ethic is there and you're really honing in on, on the craft that is, that is stand-up. It's one of the hardest and most personal and vulnerable art crafts in, in the world. Right. No, you're right. Absolutely. Okay. So I got to work on. I got some things to work on. Okay. Gotcha. A <laughs> um, couple more things. So, who are some of the up and coming comics that folks should be looking out for? I mean, you know, I'm only going to say the one, the ones that are under under our roof. I mean, I you, you know, know right? so it's all good. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. But I mean, look, you you've you've obviously um, have an eye, but you know, and it's always great to. Which is one thing I don't think we we do enough. We we don't get behind the up and coming comics. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll we'll be there when they're already stars and things like that. But I'm sure they'd love to get, uh, you know, us supporting the shows when they're before they're the big stars. So yeah, I'd love to hear yeah. some of the people that you represent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'll I'll shout out a couple of people that you know that, that I'm working with. Um, you know, de- developing, rising, etc., et and then you know a cu- couple couple others. Right, I think um, you know I, I post about this you know all the time, and I think a, a lot of people know. And I represent Desi Banks, who I just think is uh, a superstar, and um, you know he's having a really really great run on his uh, his theater tour right now. His first headline mm-hmm. theater tour, and um, you know for those out in LA, um, he's uh, playing playing the Novo on Saturday, October fourteenth. And um, he's just he's just he just got it all right. You know, some people have that have that that gift, have that that it factor. Um, mm-hmm. He has it. So um, I'm super super proud to be in business with him. Um, I would say uh, there's a, a younger guy Isaiah Kelly, right? Who's um, you know, who I, I think is also very talented. He comes from a family of of comedians. You know, if you if you look up Isaiah Kelly, I S I A H, and uh, Kelly K E L L Y. It's down LA, but um, also super, super funny. And um, it really start, starting to like people are starting to pay, pay attention. And I think that that's wonderful. I think that, you know, when you're in your towns, right, like wh- wherever the local comedy club is, just ch- check out the calendar for like the next month or the next couple months and, and go to a show. I think that a lot of my friends probably from back home or et cetera, like they don't go to too many comedy until they p- go to a comedy show and realize how fun it is. And it can be very, very fun, especially on at the places that are homes for it, right? Right. right. In, in your different cities, and, you know, maybe you're in a major city, and maybe you have a funny bone, or you have an improv, or you have a comedy zone, right? In some of your cities, or um, just that that local comedy club, I would say just spend the night out. Try, try to fit, maybe you can call and ask like which ones are you know the showcase nights, and um, and have a good laugh. Um, and uh, and I, I think that. You know, some, some some folks are more podcast listeners and, you know, the podcast um, live events like area is just bustling right now. Right. From from back when 2017, 2018, when we were in it to where mm-hmm. like only a couple of genres were working within podcasts. Now multiple ones are working. And I think that um, it's really nice to see if you just have a dedicated audience and a message and you're speaking to them super well, um, then. Like I think you know, we saw that with the read. It was like one of like the first biggest touring podcast that kind kind of came out, and um, and I, I represent Dead Ass Podcast with Kadeen and Devell Ellis, who I think are you know 
you know, obviously superstars in their own right, but actually like kill it in, in the live area as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that just got announced and is coming to a few select cities in February next year. Oh, okay. That's awesome. You know, so I can, I can go on and on. I mean, okay. my, 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 whatever DMs, uh, Facebook Messenger, all, all that, that stuff is open. If you want some right. recommendations, I think okay. it really depends on your taste. You know, I just, I just, I just saw Chelsea Handler um, do do her sold out show at the Beacon Theater here in New York, and she's a comedy icon. I think you know a massive pre- presentation from her, and um, she's so down to earth and 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 so great. So I think if you're able to see even those like top folks, as much as we talk about the rising and developing ones. Mm-hmm. You know, check out these, these, these big shows and, you know, see someone do it on the highest level, you know, it gives you an appreciation for those people that are trying to get there, right. right, that, are, right. that are doing, taking the steps and, and taking the falls and, you know, bombing at clubs and like everybody did that to be able to get to where they are. Kevin right. Hart talks about it all, all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Chelsea is great storyteller, super funny. She just started her tour. So check out her, um, her, uh, her her little big bitch tour that's what it's called okay yeah that she is funny i like her yeah um well this has been great um and we hey look no technical difficulties tonight uh with yeah. the little lights but that's all good um and i re i really am glad we were able to do this because i think i really applaud your journey and it's um it's a holistic journey you know so and the fact that you've really been working hard so i really appreciate that so I always like to leave or end the show with this question because I know that we as brothers work hard. We may tend to focus on that more, maybe more than most and probably endure a lot of things. But I always like to ask, um, as a black man, how are you feeling right now? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, why is that? Uh, my birthday is on Saturday. Okay. And- and um and I'm turning 30. So oh, 30. Okay, the big 30. Okay. The big 30. So there's a lot of preparation for that. There's a lot of uh thinking that I've been doing over the past probably like 2 to 3 months very intensely. Okay. And um as much as you know I'm I'm happy about it. I, I think I'm 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 only anxious because I know that there's you know future success to come and it's just about kind of what that journey lo- looks like to get there. So it's exciting as as much as it is daunting, you know, as, as much as it is, you know, uh, in, inspirational just for like my own, my own goals. Mm-hmm. So, um, all of that in a nutshell is. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, well, yeah. Well, I could just say this being 26 years past that, um, that you're, you're right where you want to be. man. And so I think as long as you keep putting those goals on, on a dartboard or on a notepad um, and visiting those goals every day, you, you'll get to where you want to go because I think you're, you're already on that path. And what I, what I like about you is that you, you had no problems pivoting where you needed to. Um, you started at one place and maybe stepped back a little bit to get to where uh, you wanted to go on the upstream. And I think you're going you're gonna to rise. So just appreciate the journey that you're on and enjoy you know enjoy your birthday brother i appreciate that man. i appreciate it i started telling people that um and i and i and, and i forgot that i used to say i started saying this and what was being positively overwhelmed i think a lot of the things that you know consume consume me are great things but to be able to manage them is just uh is difficult at times right so a lot of the things that I'm, I'm worried about are actually like all exciting so <laughs> after after to say that and yeah and then i guess in closing and just make sure you just reach out for support if you need it you know reach out so and, and you and i think that's what we don't do enough we don't reach out to you know hey bro i just want to talk about this thing or run this by you can can you do that because i know harrison that's a brother i love him yeah and uh yeah i'm sure he'll <laughs> i'm sure he will have no problems uh, give me your <laughs> ear. So there you go. Yeah, you're right. Thank you, man. Thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity being on here. It's uh, it's, it's been fun. And uh, thank you for allowing me to share my story. You're, you're welcome. It was great hearing Isaiah's story. I'm certain he's going to do awesome things in the future. 
Remember folks, check out those up-and-coming comics like Isaiah Kelly and Desi Banks if they come to your local town or city. Black Men Speak was written, produced, and edited by me, Keith Den. You can catch previous episodes wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We always like to end the show with a quote, and this one comes from Dave Chappelle when he was speaking about Richard Pryor. The mark of greatness is when everything before you is obsolete and everything after you bears your mark. This is Keith Dent from the Black Men Speak podcast. Peace.